Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we continue looking at unlikely heroes. This morning, we're going to be looking at the story of Gideon, and I, I want to give credit. Gideon is one of my favorite Old Testament stories and probably came that way when I was a freshman in college taking Old Testament survey. And Professor Heinsohn, Dr. Heinsohn was our, was our professor, and uh, he made this story come alive. So uh, I want to give him the credit if I accidentally uh, give, give some lines that he gave. If anything is really deep or funny, it was probably I stole it from Dr. Heinsohn. So, uh, but the story of Gideon, a reluctant hero. Let's pray and ask for God's wisdom this morning. Father, as we come before you, may we recognize as Almighty God that you care about us. Lord, that uh, your grace and your mercy are evident in our lives just as they were in the life of Gideon. Lord, help us not to be as reluctant as Gideon, but help us to be faithful and obedient in serving you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Gideon. Gideon was a guy that had issues. But yet while he had issues, he still was a hero. You sometimes can say, and I'm, I know I say it too, well, God, I don't think I can do that. I mean, look at all, the, and I can come up with a list of reasons I shouldn't do something. And Gideon could come up with a list, and he did. But through it all, God said that he would use Gideon, and Gideon simply needed to trust him. Beginning in Judges chapter 6, we see the story of Gideon, and it begins with the call of the coward. Because of their sin and rejection of God, the Israelites were facing hard times. And if you read through the book of Judges, it's a cycle that just continues. In fact, it happens around seven times throughout the book of Judges, you'll see this cycle. The, the Israelites would disobey and reject God. God would have to send an enemy that would come to conquer them, and then the Israelites would, would plead for God to come and to rescue them, and God would send a deliverer, they called him a judge, to lead them out from under the oppression of that enemy. So again, this, if you read through the book of Judges, this cycle occurs seven times throughout this book, and Gideon was one of those judges one of those deliverers that God sent to come to rescue the nation of Israel. The story begins with Gideon's fear being much greater than his faith. Follow along as I read Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, who was the son, who, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, O the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, On this, or Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he, Gideon, said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites. 
as one man. So the angel of the Lord came and and met Gideon while he was separating the grain, the wheat, from the chaff. Now, this process was usually done up on the top of a hill when there was a nice breeze blowing because the chaff is, is very light. And so what would happen is they would take and they would throw it up, the weed up in the air with the chaff in it, and the wind would blow that light chaff out while the heavier weed or grain would fall back down on the ground, and, and they'd be able to get that chaff out of the weed or out of the grain. But we find Gideon's doing that, hiding. He's hiding from the Midianites, and instead of being up on the top of the hill where the wind was blowing, he was hiding in a wine press. We don't know exactly how deep the wine press was, but can you imagine that the angel of the Lord is coming, and here's this hole in the ground where they would trample the the grapes to make the wine, and out of this hole pops up this grain, up and down and up and down. It had to be really a funny sight. And the angel of the Lord comes and says, Gideon, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And what was Gideon doing? He was hiding. He was hiding from the Midianites, an army that was several miles away. But he feared his life. But God has a sense of humor. Gideon, you mighty man of valor. But if you read Judges chapter 6, you'll see that through this first portion of the story that Gideon questioned God in many ways. Two of the questions of doubt that stood out were these. One, did God have concern for Israel since they were under the oppression of the Midianites? Gideon said, listen, God, do you really care about us? We heard the stories from our fathers, all the miraculous things that you have done, but, but here we are under the oppression of the Midianites. Do you really care? If you're going through a difficult circumstance right now, you may think the same thing. God, do you really care about what is happening to me? So Gideon had that question of doubt. He also questioned God's wisdom. Why would God choose him? Don't you love what he says in verse 15? He said, listen, God, why are you choosing me? I mean, my family is the least in the tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least of my family. I'm the least of the least. I'm the leastest. God, you can't use me. Sort of sounds exactly what, like what Moses said when God met him at the burning bush. And Moses was like, God, you chose the wrong person. I'm sure as Gideon was there in that wine press, shocked when the angel of the Lord appears as he's trying to hide. And he says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Gideon was probably turned around like, who is he talking to? Obviously, it's not me. And then when God said, Gideon, I want to use you, Gideon was like, no way, God. You got the wrong man. God, I thought you were smart. Obviously, you're missing out on something here. He doubted God's wisdom as well as his concern and love. How could God allow what was happening and how could God use him? So Gideon decided, all right, I'm going to give God a test. And so he asked the angel of the Lord to wait, and and Gideon prepared a a meal offering, and he put it on a rock, and he said, now God, do something with this. And God brought fire out of the rock that consumed the meal offering. 
I'm sure Gideon was like, oh, that was good. But it still didn't change his doubt. So God said, all right, Gideon, I, I want you to start by tearing down the altar of Baal that was there in their community or on the outskirts of town. Now, Gideon knew those people put a lot of faith in the altar of Baal. Remember, the Israelites had turned their back on God. They were seeking other gods. And In fact, if you, if you read through the passage there in those next verses, you'll find that his dad was deeply involved in this. And so God said, all right, Gideon, I want you to go and tear down the altar of Baal. And so it says that, that Gideon took some servants. We read it in Judges chapter 6, verse 27. It says, so Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Fear is a constant theme throughout Gideon's life. Now, just another very interesting thing there. Did you notice Gideon had said, God, you can't use me. I'm the least and my family is the least. I mean, their family had enough power and influence and wealth that he had at least 10 servants. His father was intricately involved in the work of the city as he was involved in the building and the, and the work of the altar of Baal. But so it says, because he didn't want to be seen, he went at night. Because he feared his father, he feared the men of the city. But word got out. When you have 11 guys, somebody's going to tell something. So sure enough, word got out that it was Gideon. The men of the city were up in arms, but Gideon's father, to his credit, said, well, if we trust this Baal and we worship him, can't he handle his own problems? So Gideon was spared. It was actually God's protection that spared Gideon. But Gideon still wasn't convinced. So he said, all right, God, I know that fire thing was pretty cool and, and you protected me when I tore down the altar of Baal, but, but can you just have a little more patience, God? I really need to be able to trust you here and I can't quite do it yet. So, so I want to do a test. So here's what's going to happen. When I'm going to put a fleece out. And I'm going to put the fleece out and I want in the morning for the fleece to be wet from the dew of the night and the ground all around it to be dry. A miracle. Goes against the laws of science. So what happened? God said, all right. Sure enough, the next morning, fleece wet, ground dry. Hmm. Interesting. But, but God, uh, can you be patient with me, God? Just, just one more time. This time, can you make the fleece dry and the ground wet? Then I'll really believe you. Guess what? You read verses 36 through 40. Fleece dry, ground wet. Now, you know that's a miracle if you have kids that leave their toys out overnight that they're not supposed to and it's wet from the dew in the morning. Everything's wet, right? Including their toys that you spent a lot of money on. Anyway. But Gideon still doubted. Now, by the way, just a little sidetrack here. We talk about a fleece, and oftentimes we use it in a positive term, or as a positive term. This wasn't a positive term. 
When God said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor, I am going to give you victory over the Midianites and you are going to lead the Israelites to this victory. Gideon should have said, yes, Lord, I believe you. I know you are an all-powerful God and I will obey. Instead, he said, God, I'm a little nervous here. Can you help me out? Again and again and again. But so after the... uh, Second night with the fleece test, we see that Gideon calls the men of Israel together. And they formed a fighting force. So Gideon called the men together. 32,000 men showed up. But God said, Gideon, that's too many. Now, there were 135,000 Midianites. The Midianites were well-trained, well-equipped soldiers. The Israelites, 32,000, anybody that could come. And by the way, they probably didn't have a lot of equipment because the Midianites, see, the Midianites had a good gig going. Here's what they would do. They would let the Israelites plant their fields. They would let them take care of their fields. They would let them harvest the fields. And then the Midianites would come in and take almost everything, leave the Israelites just enough to barely survive until the same thing happened the next year. And the the Israelites would plant their crops, take care of their crops, harvest their crops. The Midianites would come in. The Midianites, this was pretty good. They got almost all the stuff and none of the work. But they also would take many of the other things, the the precious things of the Israelites, but they would also take a lot of their weapons because they didn't want the Israelites to have any thoughts of rebellion. And this had gone on for seven years. So 32,000 guys show up. Probably most of them without weapons or very few weapons. Very little, if any, training. And God says, Gideon, you've got too many. I'm sure Gideon was probably there. And God said, all right, Gideon. And Gideon's like, that's right, God. They, God, they have too many. We have too few. God, you need to go back to math class. Notice what it says in Judges chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. It says, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Notice why. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. So we're going to do a little uh, ratio here. So if you're a math student, you'll like this. You'll find this morning will be invigorating for you. So we have it up here. And so it starts out when he calls everybody, there's 32,000. All right, so 135,000 Midianites, 32,000 Israelites. If you take that, it's just a little over 4.2 well-trained, well-equipped Midianites for every untrained, ill-equipped Israelite. A little over 4 to 1, plus all the weapons, etc. Doesn't seem too fair. So what happens? So then God says, Gideon, you've got too many people. You're going to come back and you say, guess what? We had a great strategy. We had amazing soldiers, even though we, I mean, even though we had very little equipment. We were incredible and we defeated the Midianites. Look at us. It's all about us. So God said, just send everybody home that's afraid. 22,000 went home. So now we have 135,000 to 10,000. 
13.5 well-equipped, well-trained soldiers to every one ill-equipped, untrained, or very limited training Israelite. Doesn't seem very fair, does it? But God wasn't done. So he had, a, he had a little test. He said, now I want you to take those 10,000 that you have left and I want you to go down to the creek or crick, depending on where you lived in the land. So I want you to go down there and I want you to, to divide the people into two groups. Don't tell them what you're doing, but you're going to divide them into two groups. Those people that get down on all fours, stick their face into the water, suck it up, call them the suckers, send them over to this side. The ones that go down, maybe bend down on one knee, put their hand in the water, get some water and lap like a dog, those are going to be the lappers. They go on the other side. And so divide into these two groups depending on how they drink the water. So Gideon and the 10,000 guys, they head down there. And, and sure enough, I'm, I have a feeling that very shortly after this test began, Gideon knew exactly the ones that he was going to get because it went something like this. Sucker, 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 lapper, sucker, 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 lapper, sucker, sucker, lapper, sucker, 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 lapper. 9,700 suckers, 300 lappers. I'm sure very early on, Gideon says, all right, I got the lappers. So they sent the 9,700 suckers home. Now it's 300 135,000 well-trained, well-equipped Midianites, the 300 ill-trained, very little equipment Israelites are 450 to 1. What was God saying? He's saying, listen, Gideon, you've got to trust and obey me. Now, just a little sidelight, and this actually came from Dr. Heinsohn, my uh, my professor when I was in Old Testament survey. If you look at a map and it talks about where the Midianite army was in this valley and it talks about where the creek was, it was probably three, four miles away. And the Midianites were camped. They weren't attacking. So why, what was the difference between the suckers and the lappers? Now we can't know this for sure, but but I think the lappers were so afraid. They saw a Midianite behind every bush. Every shadow was a Midianite that was going to kill them. They were scared to death. They were so scared they couldn't raise their hands to say they were scared and head home with the 22,000 at that time. But whether that was the case or maybe they were strong soldiers who were just checking everything out and being careful, we don't know. It was still 135,000 to 300. But God wasn't done yet. So we see that, that they have the fighting force. But Gideon is still fearful. He is still afraid. And so God is going to give him one more sign. So we see that in, Gen in Judges chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. It says this, It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, to Gideon, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered, into your hand, for delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands will be strengthened to go down against the camp. And I love this next part. Then he went down with... Pura, 
his servant. All right, Gideon, I'm with you. Go down to the camp. If you're scared, take Pura with you. Guess what? Pura got to go. <laughs> Gideon was still scared to death. And I have a feeling it was sort of like this. Gideon was like, hey, Pura, come with me. Come on, we got a job to do. God wants us to do this. And Pura, you take the lead. I'm right behind you, bud. So Gideon and Pura go down and says so. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. So they snuck down to the edge of the Midianite camp. God gave Gideon one more sign that he was with him. So they're down at the edge of the camp and there's a commotion in the camp. Now, we don't know if the dream happened exactly then. We know the guys are talking, but I, I picture it this way because it's the middle of the night and they're hiding there at the edge of the camp near one of the tents. And isn't it amazing how God accidentally brought them to that exact place at that exact time? We talked about that over this whole series of Unlikely Heroes, God's providence. It was no accident that they went when they went, where they went. And so I picture it this way, that they're sitting there at the edge of the camp and all of a sudden they hear a scream and this guy, one of the soldiers in one of the tents is screaming and his, and his bunkmate there in their tent says, hey buddy, what's wrong? And the guy says, oh, I just had this nightmare. It was horrible. It was this big tent, this Midianite tent and there's this giant barley loaf that came and rolled over the tent. And guess what his friend said? He said, surely that must be Gideon and the Israelites defeating us. Now, I don't know about you, but, but whether it's a game or a battle, it's not very good to go in saying, we're going to lose. But that's exactly what that Midianite was saying. And Gideon knew the odds, 135,000 to 300. And God reminded Gideon one more time, Listen, Gideon, I'm with you. You can trust me. And so Gideon went back with a whole different attitude. And with that final sign, Gideon gathered the 300 men together and prepared for battle. And we see in the next part of the chapter the thrill of victory. God gave them a strategy that was unique. Look what it says in Judges chapter 7, verses 19 through the beginning of chapter, or verse 22. It says, So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him, they divided into three groups of a hundred, with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, in the middle of the night, just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, which were in their hands, and the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands, the trumpets in their right hands were blowing, and they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and every man, this is the Midianite army, or every, the Israelite army, stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole Midianite army ran and cried out and fled when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord said, every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. So here's what's going on. God said, all right, here's the strategy. You're going to divide into three groups of 100. You get up on three hillsides surrounding this giant valley where 135,000 Midianites were encamped. And Gideon, you take your 100 guys, and when you blow your trumpet, the other two groups of 100, they'll know to do the same thing. And they were to have a torch, a trumpet, and a pitcher like a glass pitcher. They were to break the pitcher, makes noise. 
They were to light the torches, hold them up. They were to blow the trumpets and shout the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And then they were to stand and watch God work. Now, you have to understand, it was already 135,000 to 300. But when they were in battle, they had two main now, now they had armor that was on and, you know, and special shoes, etc. All those things, armor of God, we, we see that and things like that. But, but they had two main things that they used their arms for. One they used for their, sword, or their shield, the other they used for their sword. So that's why when, when an army went out and if they were at night, not everybody carried a torch because if you carried a torch in one hand, you were either not going to be able to use your shield or not be able to use your sword. So you were either defenseless or offenseless. And they had some people that had trumpets because that was the call, you know, to let everybody know what was going on. But very few people carried the trumpets because if you had the trumpet, you either were going to not be able to use your shield or not be able to use your sword. So get what God's doing here? Every single one of them, all 300... After they broke the pitcher to make the noise, they had a torch in one hand, they had their trumpet in the other hand, they couldn't use their shield, they couldn't use their sword. The only thing they could do was rely on God. And so it says they broke the pitchers, they lit the torches, they blew the trumpets, and they watched. And God caused the Midianite army with the noise of the pitchers and the light of the torches and the sound of the trumpets and the shouting, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon that the 300 guys shouted out. It says the Midianites in the chaos started killing each other. And those that were left fled as fast as they could and the 300 guys started to chase them. And then as they were chasing them, more Israelites that heard the news joined in and started chasing them. And 120,000 of the 135,000 were killed and the others fled back to their country in shame. The thrill of victory. God used a fearful farmer to lead one of the greatest military victories in history. So what made Gideon a hero? What was the rise of this reluctant hero? We see, first of all, the rise of the hero as he surrendered to God. Look what it says in Judges 7.15. It says, And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. He went from a guy that was hiding in a wine press to a guy who said, Hey, listen, it's 135,000 to 300, but follow me, guys. We're going to win. Because he surrendered to God. Eventually he understood that God was with him and he surrendered himself to God and God's plan. Now it took God reminding him at least four times, and I'm sure it was more than that. Gideon, God is with you. The Lord is with you, Gideon. Do not be afraid. God's here. I will lead you. I will give you victory over and over and over. He reminded him. Plus, God sent him four miraculous signs that we read about. He brought fire from the rock. He made the fleece wet and the ground dry. He made the fleece dry and the ground wet. And he made the Gideon and his, and his servant Pura hear the dream of the Midianite soldier that God was going to give Israel the victory. 
And finally Gideon said, all right, God, I believe you, I'll obey. And we see not only that, but Gideon put his faith over his fear. He finally allowed that faith to come through. And he followed God. I love the way that Warren Wiersbe puts it. He says this, faith involves obeying God in spite of what we see, how we feel, or the consequences we may face. You know, it required Gideon to get past his own view of himself and see what could be when he allowed God to use him. And we have that same struggle, don't we? God, you can't use me. Gideon said, God, my family is the least in, the, in my tribe, and I'm the least of my family. You can't use me. Moses said, God, you can't use me. Over and over, we see people who have this view of themselves not recognizing that God can use them in mighty, supernatural ways. But we have that same struggle, don't we? We say, well, God... You stopped at the wrong wine press. You needed the guy in the wine press down the road. He's the one that's the real military leader. Not me. Say, God, you can't use me to impact that person's life. You know, find somebody else. Joe, he's a Christian too. Maybe he could talk to him. God wants to use us, but we need to recognize that God is the one who gives the victory. It's interesting if you go back to chapter 6 when, jo- when uh, Gideon is so busy giving all the excuses and also blaming God and questioning God's concern, God's power, that God w- was wisdom in choosing him. Over and over God said, verse 12, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Verse 14, you're going to have the victory. Have I not sent you? Verse 16, surely I will be with you and you will defeat the Midianites as one man. When he finally recognized that God was with him, he knew that God would fulfill his promise and provide the victory. Now if you go to chapter 8, they've had the victory, they're, they're, they're no longer under the oppression of the Midianites, and the people come to Gideon, and they say, Gideon, will you be our king? Now, if you look at the nation of Israel, that's a very interesting statement. You see, from the very beginning, the Israelites always wanted to be like the nations around them. And instead of them influencing the nations around them as they served God, they allowed the nations around them to influence them into idolatry and other foolish things. But they struggled. And if you follow through Judges, you get to after Judges is 1 Samuel. And the people in 1 Samuel said, we want a king like all the other nations. And God said, all right, I'll grant your request, but I'm going to warn you, it's not going to be good. But they wanted a king. But notice what Gideon says in Judges chapter 8 and verse 23. It says, but Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. He came to the realization that God needs to be our ultimate king. 
and we need to be his servants. And then and only then could Gideon step up as a hero. And this fearful farmer that went from hiding in the wine press to leading this group of 300 ill-equipped, unprepared soldiers in battle against 135,000 trained, equipped soldiers, and he had the victory. We need to be like Gideon, a hero who allowed God to be his strength. And while Gideon started this, the story as this fearful farmer, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, the hall of faith, guess who's listed? Gideon, the guy that was afraid of his own shadow, but yet a guy that when he finally surrendered to God, God changed the world and the course of his nation through Gideon's leadership. Let's pray. Father, thank you that as Almighty God, you love us. I thank you for the grace and mercy that you showed to Gideon over and over as he doubted you. Lord, help us to be faithful and to trust you. Help us to recognize that in you we have our strength. And Lord, may you be glorified in our lives as we strive to serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.